0: Our next guest is the senior editor at The Atlantic, which I'm a subscriber. He's also an award-winning former staff writer for Wired.com. The New York Observer calls him, for all intents and purposes, the perfect modern reporter. And he's the author of Powering the Dream, the History and Promise of Green Technology, which is a great, great book, and you should definitely go buy it. really excited he's joining us today on Earth Day. Alexis Madrigal, finally got you on the air. I've had the book for a while, and it's great. Thanks for joining us. Oh,
1: Thank you very much.
0: So really, really interesting book because you, you kind of write about, obviously, a lot about the history of green technology in, in America. And I think most readers would be really surprised to find out uh, what we had in the late 1800s and, and early 1900s in this country available to us. Um, give us some of that technology uh, in terms of electric cars and, and solar capabilities back then.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, there's a couple of really, (coughs) really interesting examples. I mean, one is um, there were windmills, uh, perhaps according to one historian's estimate, as many as six million windmills across the country, largely used to sort of pump water out of the ground kind of convert wind into water in the uh, prairie and in the plains region. Um, There were uh, solar installations, actually solar hot water installations, in Southern California uh, in the early 20th century, and perhaps the most surprising is that uh, right around the turn of the century um, there were electric cars in New York City in fact you could have taken an electric cab across New York City in 1900 Wow. Um, yeah which is sort of uh, I think very surprising that yeah.
0: People, people yeah I don't, don't even don't, believe you
1: yeah it's, it's <laughs> a fascinating history and there have been people who've written whole books about the company um, that got this whole thing together I mean the, the first sort of organized car concern Um, was an electric vehicle company. And, I mean, one of the fascinating things is they also wanted to change the model for how you got your transportation. So instead of buying a vehicle, um, you would have, like, purchased the service of the vehicle. Everything would have been uh, sort of electric and service-driven as opposed to gasoline-powered and product-driven.
0: You know what I just don't understand is, is how – because I'm, I'm trying to get solar panels on my house, and so I, 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 read a, I read a little bit about the technology, and I get so confused with what we have the capability to do and what we don't have the capability to do. And if, if one guy told me we've kind of peaked out for a little while, we won't have major more improvements and innovations for, for a few years now. We're in a good, you know, it's a, we're in a good spot, but, but we've kind of peaked. But, but I mean, you, you read about what we had capability 100 years ago. So what's what's the deal? Is there a conspiracy? Is there some kind of – it It just doesn't have enough of a profit motive for people to f- invest in and, and develop? Where are we with solar and how far have we come?
1: Yeah, well, we've come a long way. I don't think there's been any conspiracy. In fact, um, the, the oil companies were some of the key people in developing the kind of technology that everyone uses now, the photovoltaics. I mean they kind of – You know, it's a sort of history of these huge corporations developing this technology. You know, they took Bell Labs, uh, created kind of the first uh, economically workable at some level uh, solar cell. Then you have a lot of the NASA research take up from there. Then you have oil companies who want to use solar panels on their drilling uh, rigs, particularly offshore. They take it up and they support the, the research around uh, solar panels. So, I mean, you know, if, if there's any conspiracy, it's like a conspiracy of the corporations who actually use solar power and to um, develop the technology there. I think the, the, the hard thing is, you know, if you think about how long we've been burning um, coal to make electricity, um, you know, it's been since, you know, the last quarter of the 19th century. So you've got this technology with 135 years under its belt. And um, if you look at what happened during the 20th century, I mean, it's one of the things I think it's really underappreciated. But from like 1900 to like 1965, uh, power plants, traditional fossil fuel power plants got way, way more efficient. And the energy that they produced, the electricity that came out of them got way cheaper. And so if you were to take the solar technology that we have now, and you were to put it in 1900, it could beat technology of that time, the fossil fuel power technology of that time, but there's been a long time to develop all the sciences, you know, metallurgy and the kind of understanding of the thermodynamics of power plants, whereas on the solar side, you're talking a history that's maybe half as long and really only got going uh, for real in about the last uh, 35 years. So because of that, you have two technologies that are in really different parts of their life cycle, and I think to your question at at the very beginning, Um, you know, the technology continues to develop along a pretty steady pace. And granted, you can't use these sort of, you you can't drive looking in the rearview mirror, but we're able to say for a few decades, the cost of solar power has come down pretty consistently. And it doesn't seem as if there's any, you know, physical limit that says, you know this is going to stop getting cheaper uh, in the in the near and long
0: term future. You know the way I see it and I know nothing and I and I don't believe in any conspiracy theory but the way I see it it just it's hard to make any money a lot of money off of solar. You make a lot of money off of coal and oil because a you own a plot of land and and then you got this great technology that can drill into The ground, although obviously, and as you read a lot about it, it's getting harder to get that oil out. But it's still – and then you can sell it. You can sell it on on the open market to to the highest bidder um, in terms of any nation in the world. But solar, if I got the right panels, I can kind of live off the grid if I want. Nobody makes money except for potentially me selling it back to the the, the utility company. And so there's just not that much of a profit motive in it, and so why invest too much in it?
1: Yep, I do think that's a big, a big part of it. Particularly when the manufacturing side of solar is both really tough and the profit margins are are pretty slim, and the the overall market in the scheme of things is still relatively small, at least in the terms of the the energy sector. Um, yeah, I mean it's a, it is one of the key problems. I mean in the boom times in particular for fossil fuels, people make tons of money, and then they lose tons of money. Um, in the in the bad times, but of course, like people remember the boom times and I think one of the problems of solar is actually one of its virtues, which is it's consistent and you are sort of insulated from various risks of different fuels out there in the global market, whether that's natural gas whether that's coal you're you're insulated from a lot of pollution risk and and the regulation of pollution risk um, but a lot of these things they're difficult to price in in that way you know it's hard to like put a number on it that someone can can then buy and and i think the other really big thing too is that you're looking at um you know people don't know uh too much before they buy a house how much the like what the operating costs of that house are going to be you know you've got cars that you have miles per gallon you at least know that right right but with a house and the kind of amount of electricity it's going to use you actually don't know that sort of thing And I think that's hurt both uh, photovoltaics and it's hurt even more passive solar, you know, the kind of solar where, like, you just don't have to put as much energy into your system to do the heating and cooling because of its, you know, smart design.
0: I'm talking to Alexis Madrigal, his great book, Powering the Dream, the History and promise of green technology is one that you should own right now. It's out in paperback now, too. He's also senior editor of The Atlantic, award-winning uh, former staff writer of Wired.com. You uh, may be familiar with his work. If you're not, you should be. What is, do you think, the the, the future? Though You write a lot about the history, and I barely scratched the surface, don't have enough time to do it today. We'll pick up on it, I hope, in the future. But we'll, just looking in the future, what is the most promising technology, uh, energy technology, green technology uh, that, that we have to look forward to in the future, do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it's this combination of uh, sort of computing and better material science, like actually working on you know, the, the atomic level with these various materials to make better solar panels. I think for the first time in history, you have massive amounts of research dollars going into not just the sort of deployment of solar, um, but also the upstream R&D, people thinking about how to use silicon and other materials to convert the photons of light from the sun into electricity. And that sort of research, you know, over the long term is going to pay off. And there's a lot of headroom there.
0: Well, a lot of people say, though, that government shouldn't pick winners in, in, in any industry. Um, and there's all there's a the controversy about government's investment into Solyndra and other renewable energy. I'm for picking winners. I'm for government Investing in, in future technology, I think that's in the public interest. Um, we can argue about which governments do that well. Uh, China, uh, Germany is invested a lot in solar and they, they plan to be totally renewable, I think in like what is it 2020 or 30 or something like that, which is pretty ambitious. Are, 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 do you think America the American government is in, should they you know pick uh, winners? Alexis, and are they choosing uh, industries? Because one could make the argument that these subsidies with, with wind and solar are not enough and there needs to be more of an investment and more incentive in these renewable technologies that a lot of us hope are the future.
1: Well, I think, you know, history says that you're right, that governments do just pick winners. I mean, our own government has picked winners a bunch of times. I mean, we in the middle of the, of the century, I mean, we picked nuclear for several decades, supporting it with, in all kinds of different ways. Um, back further in time, I mean you can find a bunch of ways that the government supported the coal industry, the government supported the oil industry, you know tax breaks, and other types of things, like making it you know more difficult for laborers to do what they what they wanted to do and supporting companies in in their efforts to make them work in coal mines and and the living conditions and working conditions there so there 's like a there are a lot of ways in which government can make it easier or harder for technologies to uh, take off. We've done it in the past with every single energy technology, and I think we'll continue doing it in the future. Like, energy is just too important to the stability of countries' uh, economies. And I, and I think, you know, in a, in a lot of ways, we just need to get a little bit smarter about it. I think in the U.S., like, the conversation has been so derailed by, like, should a government be involved in this or not? that some of the more detailed policy things, of like how should government, how, what are the specifics right. of how we should bring in and phase out subsidies for developing technologies or sort of get forgotten. And I think you know, the key thing that to remember, too, is by not pricing the pollution that coal plants <laughs> put out, particularly carbon pollution, that is, in fact, helping pick a winner. And so doing nothing is also helping pick a winner.
0: Well, that's and a really I, interesting perspective. Yeah, obviously. The, uh, that. that that's almost obvious, but nobody ever really says it.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah. I it's mean, sad because I think, you know, the the idea that you should just be able to dump all your costs on society, and that that's somehow not. Uh, the, that the government's inaction is not picking a winner; it's just
0: fought. yeah. It's a public health issue. I mean, we're yeah. paying for that and healthcare costs, of yep, course.
1: For sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, healthcare, environmental damage, like all kinds of ways.
0: I, I give a lot of talks to, to young people, and, and of course, I talk a lot about this on the on the program. That you know, we need an attitudinal shift. We need a cultural shift on the way that we behave and the way that we use energy. And you talk about you know how we live and where we live um, as well in your book. And, and and I wonder if that's really kind of what it takes. There's nothing more annoying and hypocritical than the liberal, you know, kind of environmentalist type of person who preaches and is a really anti-oil and demonizes oil, but uses the hell out of oil and every other right, right, dirty right, right, right. energy source. It really burns me up. Uh, interesting choice of words there. When 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 we're hypocritical about it, yeah, stop using oil. In the meantime, we're using plenty of it. We're driving, you know, through the drive-through and our kids Brandy. to the end of the street, and and I mean. I've really tried to make that shift. My daughters watch daddy plug in their car. We're getting solar panels on the roof. I don't take a plastic bag uh, for one item or really any items. We use the reusable bags. I still do a ton of hypocritical things, Alexis. But my point is the next generation has to shift and look at the way that we use um, items and energy uh, the same way that our generation looks at, say, cigarette smoking. What do you think of that idea?
1: that's true. You know, I think, you know, what individuals can do is is powerful. I think, um, you know, one of the, the big problems is like, how do we take that kind of mentality and give it sort of collective power, um, you know, politically and socially? And I think that's, that's one of the, where, you know, the kind of key battleground is. I mean, there is a lot, there are a lot of people making individual steps, but the society's infrastructure needs to change as well. And in order to do that, you need these sort of
0: collective endeavors. Well, we barely scratch the surface on your book. It's really great. I, I encourage people to get it, Powering the Dream. Alexis Madrigal, uh, also on Twitter, by Alexis Madrigal, right? At Alexis Madrigal. Yep. Um, thanks a lot for joining us, man. I really appreciate it for uh, hey, joining thank us. Thank you very much. And we'll talk to you hopefully again soon.